This is the Go Pack Podcast with your host, Jessica Curtis. Today, we're joined by Emmy Award-winning journalist Bob Sellers, host of American Agenda on Newsmax. Bob has more than two decades of experience covering local and national news. He's worked in markets all over the country, from Nashville to San Antonio to Fox News Channel in New York and CNBC. Bob, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Jessica. Well, I'm happy to be here. Uh, There's so much going on and uh, nobody better to talk about it with than you. Absolutely. And and you as well. So um, right out of the gate, during your career, you've covered an array of stories. What's the most memorable story that you have covered? Well, I think definitely uh, going to Iraq in 2003 when I was with Fox News Channel and uh, reporting on the war over there. That definitely stood out. I mean, the whole world was watching. And uh, so not only was it news, which was uh, exciting to be a part of, even though obviously a lot of negative things were going on right there. It allowed me to get an insight into the dynamics at play that were kind of being misreported. And I found out when I went there, the people there generally didn't want us there. And that there was a lot going on between the Shiites and the Sunnis, and that that wasn't going to go away anytime soon. And that uh, we were in uh, for some trouble if we stayed there. And of course, we did stay there and we did find trouble. Yeah, for sure. A lot of folks these days do not trust the news media at all. Um, You and I, full disclosure, worked together uh, years ago at Fox News, where I would say under Roger Ailes' direction, we really did present a fair and balanced perspective to the news, allowing viewers and listeners to figure out their opinions for themselves. So my question being... How do you and your colleagues as well there at Newsmax work to ensure you're bringing your audience the facts? Well, that's the first thing that we try to start with. I mean, obviously, uh, cable networks nowadays, there's a lot of opinion on them. But we have to start with what the facts are. And then we can ask a guest what they think or at the right time, maybe even present an opinion. But the important thing is to start with what the actual foundation of the story is. And then you can go from there with different interpretations about it. And, And I think we just try to be conscientious about doing that. Now, I'm on in the afternoon from two to four. During the day, we tend to be more journalistically based. We're kind of covering news a little more. Starting at four o'clock with Chris Salcedo, who's fabulous, uh, on into the evening, those shows tend to be a little more opinionated as well they should. That's kind of the blueprint for a lot of the cable networks now. And uh, so to me, personally, I always try to make sure I maintain my journalistic standards. And then, uh, again, sometimes you're going to present an opinion. It's hard not to in this day and age, because, frankly, I think you're kind of boring if you don't say something uh, with a perspective. But we always try to start with what the facts are. And, and then we can go off from there. And I think that's something that Roger was good at teaching as well. Absolutely. Along those lines, just in, in the era and, and age we're living in, disinformation is rampant, uh, whether it be, you know, mo- most of that being online and, and just you can't can't trust every website that comes in front of you and your Facebook feed or whatever. So earlier in the year, Pew did a, a survey of journalists with more than nine in 10 surveyed, 94 percent saying that made up news and information is a significant problem in America today with seven. identifying it as a very big problem, 23% seeing it as a moderately big problem, and 6% saying it was a small problem or not 
a problem at all. You're a veteran of the news <clears throat> business, Bob. So how do you as a journalist work to battle that? I, I'd imagine almost constant stream of disinformation. And, and in particular, how are you guys going to handle that for Election Day? Oh, well, I'll get to that in a second because that, that'll be a long conversation. But <laughs> the, I think I try to go to the source. I mean, obviously, having been a reporter in the field and interviewing every uh, people every day, if you can go to the source of somebody that's involved with the story, you can start there and know whether something's a fact. Did it happen to you? Did it happen to this person? Were they an eyewitness to something that happened? Or were they involved somehow? And then if you go back from that, then you say, okay, is this a reporter who's on the story? Do they have credibility? Does the so-called news outlet or the news outlet have credibility? Do I believe that source? Because online you can get things that just aren't right. They aren't correct. So I try to go back as as far as possible to the source. And that also keeps me from embarrassing myself because, you know, over the years that I've been uh, doing news, there have been a couple times when I got a story that actually was not correct. And of course, it, it kills your own credibility, too. I don't like that to happen. So I tend to ask questions like even somebody today, we were on the air and somebody told me something in my ear. And, I, and the first question I said was, OK, you're telling me that. What's the source? Where are we getting that? So I try to do that. As far as uh, elections are concerned, that's going to be a process. I, I don't know how you see it, Jess, but I, I see that this is going to be like an election week, probably not an election day. Right. I think it's going to take a while for all the information to, to come in and for all the votes to be counted, kind of like 2020, maybe at a different level because it doesn't involve the president. But I think that we are going to have to make sure we're getting the right information. Where do we get it from? Who is giving us this? And that that's you know, the crucial component of it is what is your source and how do I know this is true? Like I did a story today, kind of an explainer on how President Biden tends to say that he has lowered the deficit significantly. And if you took that out of hand, like what the deficit was before, which is like 1.3 trillion, and then came down to uh, uh, 1.3, it was like up a up near three trillion, I should say, but it's down to like 1.3 trillion now. I hope I'm not losing everybody in my <laughs> confusion here. <laughs> but good. Uh, the point that I'm making is I, I went to the Treasury Department's uh, website to find the actual numbers as far as what our deficit was. What So if you don't cherry pick, if you actually go in and put things in perspective, when he says he's cut the deficit, well, wait a minute, what are you comparing it to? He's comparing it to pandemic spending. And Jess, you and I know there is nothing in our lifetime that's been anything like pandemic spending or the experience that we had collectively as a nation dealing with that. So when both Republicans and Democrats agreed to spend an enormous amount of money, that was an emergency. That was a pandemic. But if you go back to before the pandemic, his spending is outrageous. It's way above where it was before. It's up to the levels of where it was back during the great financial crisis. And it hasn't been like that since then. So um, that's an example of um, I went to to get the actual information. I went to the treasury, treasury.gov, and I looked at the actual data 
so that I could put it in perspective uh, for our viewers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what do you think is going to happen on November 8th? Is it going to be a late night? Like, what's your uh, your fingers yeah, on the pulse? I, I th- what do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be more than a night. I think. Well, it's you did. Be, you said it was you know, going to be a week. <laughs> two or three days. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think we'll get some interesting. I mean, in the East Coast, you're going to have the uh, Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock race in Georgia for senator. And I think that's going to end up being a runoff. Okay, Uh, I don't because of a guy named Chase Oliver, people that nationally nobody knows who he is. He's a libertarian. He's gay. And you would think as a libertarian, he would attract uh, maybe conservative voters and being gay. Maybe he would attract more liberal voters, whatever it is. He's probably going to have maybe two percent, three percent enough, most likely to keep whoever wins that night from getting 50%. So if they don't get 50%, there's going to be a runoff on December 6th. I think Dr. Oz has his hands full with Fetterman in Pennsylvania. And I'm talking about uh, the reason I mentioned those two races. They're in the Eastern time zone, right? So the polls should close and we should have some sort of insight pretty early as far as how are they going? Because sometimes exit polls will tell you something you didn't expect. And I can tell you a story about exit polls being wrong. Back in uh, 2004, I was at Fox, as as you were, and I did uh, coverage of the election that night. And early in the night, there was the expectation the Republicans, uh, along with George W. Bush, were going to lose. And the exit poll said that. And so that was kind of the narrative. They, They were having a bad night. But as the evening went on and the results were coming in, it was like, now, wait a minute. This result is better than the exit poll. And that became a pattern. So it was a situation which, oh, maybe people were lying to the exit pollsters. Maybe they didn't want to tell you I voted for George W. or or whatever they were keeping from him. And it ended up being a night that George W. Bush did win. He wasn't officially declared the winner until the next morning. Uh, as a reminder, he was running against John Kerry. But that was a case where it was a long night and into the next day, and the exit polls were wrong. But we should have some stories to talk about, at least early in the evening on November 8th. But I still think it's going to be a while till we get results. For instance, Nevada is going to be a close one for mm-hmm. for uh, Senate. And a lot of people are going to question the outcome uh, no matter what it is, because Nevada kind of has this reputation to some people. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, let's say what happens in Nevada stays in Nevada, but <laughs> this one's not going to. It's going to affect the U.S. Senate. Absolutely. So uh, do you think you're, that we're going to see any shakeups, uh, races where, you know, you, you're thinking where people are going to be surprised? Good question. I do think Adam Laxalt will win in uh, as a Republican in Nevada. And it's getting more attention now. But for a while, the, the Masto, the current senator mm-hmm. and a Democrat, had been leading in the polls. But Adam Laxalt had his grandfather was governor of Nevada. So he has a family name. And by the way, his dad was Pete Domenici, although almost nobody knew that for about 30 years until Adam Laxalt's mother uh, revealed who the actual father was. So he has a lot of politicians in his family, even though for the longest time people didn't know directly about that. I mean, I only throw that in there because it's kind of an interesting tidbit. I don't know whether Blake Masters will pull it out in Arizona for Republicans. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like Kelly is playing that pretty well. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, it seems like Carrie Lake as the Republican gubernatorial candidate is giving a big following. She seems to be doing well. So you tell me, Jesse, does a woman have coattails or is it a, a dress tail? Or <laughs> if she does well as a governor, what kind of tails does she does she extend to I, somebody down ticket? Right. I would not go. Sure. I would go with the coattails. It yeah, would... we'll just keep it coattails. <laughs> right. Why not? With gubernatorial races, let's talk a little bit about New York, because our, our our friend here at GOPAC, Congressman Lee Zeldin, it seems is really giving Governor Kathy Hochul a run for her money. Well, I'll tell you, all you have to do is live in New York, and you know that whoever's in charge, it's not working. And I'm talking about in New York City. And as you know, the state of New York is kind of like two states. It's New York City, and then there's the rest of the state. Yep. And the rest of the state, while as a collective, it, it has voted uh, Democratic generally in, in recent elections, it's way more conservative upstate. And there are a lot of people that are quite ready to vote for a Republican. And I think some people in the city want a change. They want somebody to change this soft on crime approach. They want somebody to change the fact that crime is on the rise just about everywhere you go in the state. And they look and say, you know, Kathy Hochul, by the way, you were never elected governor anyway. Mm -hmm. So let's give Zeldin a chance. I, I still, you know, I'm not positive he'll have a great run at that. But yeah, the polls show he has a chance. So within margin of error, there's so many problems with polls nowadays, especially since people aren't going to answer a strange phone call on their cell phone. Right. So the process of putting together a poll is way more challenging than it used to be. So you can question folks. If you question a poll, you're not crazy. There are a lot of problems with the process now that didn't used to exist. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, uh, you know, to your point, a lot of different uh, factors that go into it now with the advancement of technology. And uh, you're right, your, your polling today is not what your polling was 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, one of, one of the things I don't want to take up too much time on that, but it, it does fascinate me because one of the things they do is they try to get a certain number of people. But if they can't get that, They'll take information from online polls. Now, somebody uh -huh. taking an online poll is different from somebody receiving a call and answering questions. Mm -hmm. So they will a certain it'll, let's say it's a certain kind of website. So you get a certain kind of person there and a certain kind of person who takes those polls. Well, now they have to manipulate the numbers to make it be more accurate. As soon as you start manipulating the numbers, that means you expect a certain outcome. Well, if you expect a certain outcome, why do you need to do the poll? You also will look at polls and they'll have the results somewhere and you go and look at the data. And it's like, did they have enough Republicans in this? Did they have the right mix of independents and Democrats? Did they have enough females? Did they have enough males, enough people of color? There are all kinds of uh, components that go into these things. And again, they start manipulating these numbers with these algorithms to, 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 to make them more accurate. But they're doing that based on what they expect the outcome to be. Right. When you see problems with polls, you know, that's why we all watch Election Day with interest. Because polls, we know, have been wrong before. Right, you said it. So um, your former colleague, Joe Pinion, running for U.S. Senate in New York, which... Yeah. Right. Listeners, yeah. Uh, uh, listeners I, of the podcast have picked up enough. I'm from New York. So of interest to me against Senator Chuck Schumer. What do you think? I think Joe has the right positions on a lot of issues. I don't know that a lot of people know who Joe is. They should. They should give him a chance. They should take a look at him. I, I told Joe, I said, you should tell them pinion means no Schumer. 
um, <laughs> that that's what it that's what the word means. Yeah. It's uh, I think if people decide somebody like Schumer has been in office long enough, let's give somebody else a chance. Then they could take a look at Joe, a solid person with a solid conservative background and outlook. And th- that does he certainly has a chance. He's in the race. Somebody wins. I know he has an uphill battle, but I think if people take a look at him, they'll have an even better chance if they give him a fair look. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so my last question for you, when you're not reporting and covering the news, what do you like yes. to do? What's Bob? What's Bob do? Well, I have a couple girls in college. So this past weekend, I went to visit them. I like to uh, like on vacations. I love going out west and going um hiking and um I, I like skiing i kind of like a lot of outdoor stuff and um i have a dog and i take him for hikes all the time so i'm pretty simple that way i, I don't have complicated interests, yeah. but i i do enjoy being active and that that kind of reflects the way i am i always feel more comfortable with that and then you know a lot of these hikes i'm taking with my wife i mean i've been married 27 years so she enjoys the same things which is a good thing that's fantastic and and important as well so before i let you go any final thoughts you'd like to share with uh, the audience of the go pack podcast i think that we're going to see a red wave history tells us that's the case i mean history says since uh, world war ii i believe the average is 24 or 26 the 26 I think, in the House and four in the Senate. I don't think we're going to see those exact numbers, but you don't need a huge red wave to take back the House because you're not starting at 170. You're starting at 212, so so it'll be an easier accomplishment. And I think uh, I still am not sure about the red wave taking back the, the Senate. I'd like to be right on these things. I don't want to hope one way or another. It's quite possible that Oz could lose and Laxalt wins, and then we end up with 50-50. But if you look at all the movement right now, it's all going toward the Republicans. So maybe even better than 50-50 for Republicans to take back both houses. And I think then the question is, who are they going to hold accountable and what are they going to do when they get in those positions? Because there are a lot of people that don't like what's going on right now with the administration. And I'll give another heads up. Be careful about this lame duck session coming up after there is a red wave. There are Democrats that are going to be trying to pass a lot of legislation with their majority before they leave. And uh, that's something we'll be covering also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Great talking to you. Thank you for having me. This has been the Go Pack Podcast. Learn how we're educating and electing a new generation of Republican leaders at gopack.org.